<clears throat> is there anybody looking to live their life for Jesus? Come on, that was weak. Anybody looking to live their life for Jesus? Well, good morning, Epiphany Fellowship. It is a delight and an honor to be here with you this morning. Uh, my name is Brandon Watts. I do get the, the privilege of serving as one of your uh, uh, church plants, your daughter church, Epiphany Church in Brooklyn, New York. Amen. Man, I get to serve there. Uh, it's a privilege, man, to serve as the lead pastor of that church. Uh, we're a church that believes we exist to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. Amen. And, you know, just, you know, one of the things that get lo gets lost in that is the complexity of that city. 2.6 million people live in the borough of Brooklyn. Uh, about 176,000 live in the neighborhood in which uh, our church is planted. And we are uh, on a mission to see every single person engaged with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so uh, let me publicly express uh, my affections for this church, my love for this church. I miss Epiphany Fellowship of Philadelphia driving up today. Uh, just brought back memories of uh, when my wife and I and my, my two boys, Brandon and Jeremy, when we were going here. Uh, and so I, I do miss you. I also want to give honor and thank God for your elders. Can you guys help me thank God for your elders? Yeah. Amen. And man, Pastor, Pastors Nyren and, and Pastor Kurt and Pastor Larry, some of the greatest uh, elders that love this church, love their wives, and serve well to uh, make sure that you guys are, are spiritually being taken care of. I uh, also want to thank God for our pastor. I call him the bishop, Dr. Eric Mason. Can we thank God for Pastor Mason? You know, I, I love to see that he is on sabbatical. He is suffering for Jesus while he is resting. Uh, and I, I'm glad to see that, you know, one of the things I think that, uh, you know, is hard to really wrap your mind around is, especially on a Sunday morning, you see him here and you see him proclaiming uh, the work of Christ, but uh, some of the, most of the pastoral uh, work that he does is behind the scenes. And I'm grateful to see him being, uh, you know, used to just rest. Vance Havner said it well when he said, if you do not come apart, you will fall apart. And so thank God that you guys allow him time to just be able to rest. Uh, why don't you guys do me a favor and grab your Bibles, indulge me, grab your Bibles and meet me in Psalm chapter number one. Psalm chapter number one. I know it's your custom to stand, so if you guys could grab that and, and stand with me. As you guys are getting to Psalm one, let me give you a quick update on what's going on at the turnpike. Uh, we are seeing, uh, it's been a, a good season. The Lord has been really gracious. We are seeing people meet Jesus. We are seeing souls be baptized. Uh, we are coming off the heels of a, what we called a park party. It was a great outreach. It was similar to your, uh, your Diamond Street Festival, just a, a smaller budget. Y'all was frying fish. Y'all was balling out of control. <laughs> like y'all was frying fish and everything. We was like hamburgers and hot dogs. Uh, but nevertheless, it gave us an opportunity to be able to engage our neighborhood and uh, really just uh, not really promote people to come to the church, but really build relationships to where we have common ground to be able to talk to people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, also, last week, I just announced to our church that we, because of space issues, we are moving from two services, one service to two services. Amen. Amen. So a lot, a lot is happening, and if you could remember us, we solicit your prayers. Uh, let's do this. Let's get into the Word of God. Um, I know normally the, the pastor or the preacher uh, will read, and then you guys will jump right in and start reading. I have uh, ESV, and I know you guys got CSB today, so let me do this. Let me read all six verses, uh, and you guys uh, just follow along. 
and uh, we'll see where the Lord will take us. Verse number one says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. You should underline this phrase. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and his leaf does not wither. You should underline this phrase as well. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I simply want to preach from a topic that's really posed as a rhetorical question. The, the, The topic today is, which path are you on? Let us pray. Father, what a privilege it is to engage your word. Your word tells us in Psalm 119 that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And I think we all can agree without rubbing our lives against your word, we'd have no direction. We'd be like a ship without a sail. But your, your, your light, your word uh, illuminates our paths. And I pray that today that you would get at us through your word. I pray that we walk out of here today would be doers of your word, not hearers only, lest we deceive ourselves Uh, I pray, Lord, that the gospel would be clear, that even from Psalm 1, Jesus Christ would be glorified. It's in Christ's name that we pray and give glory. Amen. As you're taking your seat, why don't you look at your neighbor and ask them, which path are you on? That neighbor wasn't feeling you. Look at another neighbor and just say, what path are you on? Not expecting you to answer. My, My hope is that we'll get the answer through the text. I have two boys at the age of 14 and 11, and having two boys often require me to watch their cartoons and TV shows with them. And and one of the things that happens whenever I sit down and watch their cartoons and TV shows, I'm often left with a little hint of sadness. And the hint of sadness that I have uh, usually causes me to reflect upon how great the cartoons were when I was a kid. I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. You know, we had good cartoons when I was younger. We had cartoons like Chippendale Rescue Rangers and Looney Tunes and Garfield. Who remembers uh, Goof Troop? We had some great cartoons when I was a kid. And if you go back a decade before that, we had great cartoons then as well. We had Mickey Mouse and Tom and Jerry and Roadrunner. I still don't know how Wile Coyote got all those acne products, but nevertheless, we had great cartoons when I was a kid. And if you paid attention to all of those cartoons, one of the things you would notice is that the writer would often want to depict the inner conflict of doing right and doing wrong that the character would have. And how would he do that? That writer would put an angel on the right shoulder and a devil with a pitchfork on the left shoulder. And both of them would lay out their case on why you should do right and why you should do wrong. Well, in our text this morning, the psalmist is laying out two paths for us. In our text, there is a good path, or the text will say a righteous path, and there is also a wrong path, or the text will call it an evil path. Let let me save you from uh, walking out of here and saying, I'm neither one of those paths. The text does not give us an option of a third path. The text doesn't give us an option of a fourth path. You cannot walk out of here and say, I'm neutral. You in this room are either on the right path, or you are on the wrong path. My hope and prayer is that through our time this morning that we will see which path we're on. In fact, the inscription above my text literally says the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Two paths are presented to us today. 
Now, Psalm 1 is categorized as a wisdom psalm. Many commentators suggest that it would fit perfectly in the book of Proverbs. But even though it's categorized as a wisdom psalm, it has no commands in it. None. The psalmist is not telling you what to do. The psalmist is laying out before us that there are two paths. And even though this is a wisdom psalm, and even though it does not have any commands, the text still reads with force. And it can cause us to have conviction and encouragement, both in which we need. Why don't you pick me back up in verse number one. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the, the seat of scoffers. Most commentators suggest that this verse, verse one, can best be understood by looking at Jesus. Why? Because Jesus did not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Jesus did not stand in the way of the sinners, and Jesus did not sit in the counsel uh, or sit in the seat of the scoffers. But let me lift up the first part of this verse because the first part of this verse will give us an initial inkling on which path we're on. Look at the first part of the verse. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. One of the first signs presented to us in the text that we are on the wrong path is when we are constantly depending on advice from ungodly people. The text says today, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. The text seems to suggest that you cannot be fulfilled in the things of Christ if you are receiving counsel from people that reject the way of Christ. The text says, do not receive the counsel. Now, we have a dilemma here, though. The reason we have a dilemma here is because Proverbs 15, verse 22, will actually say almost the opposite. Proverbs 15, verse 22 says it this way. It says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, plans succeed. What do you do when the Bible says to do and not to do? You just pick one, right? Amen. Thank God for a spiritual person. No, we don't just (laughs) pick one. I I saw some of you for the first time taking notes. You're like, just pick one. I like Epiphany Church. No, that's not what the text is saying. The text is telling us to be careful where we receive the counsel from. Here's the reality. All of us in this room need to, just like the church, I love this church because one of the things that this church does well is this church is what's known as an elder-led or an elder-ruled church. That means there's many voices speaking into the church. One man making all the decisions is not a good, it's not a healthy thing to do. But having a plurality of elders speaking to the church, what they're doing is they're walking in Proverbs 15, 22 with many advisors. Plans succeed. And what is true of the church? is true of you as an individual as well. You, everybody in this room needs at least that one person in your life that that is godly and you can receive counsel from. And sometimes that one person, like you should give them access to your life to where they can talk reckless to you and not care that you're offended. And you walk away and love Jesus more because that person talked to you the way they did. All of us need that person, but here's what the text is saying. Don't let that person be someone that's on the opposite path. But that person must be someone who walks in the counsel of the wicked. The text goes on and says, do not walk in the counsel of the wicked and do not stand in the way of sinners. This word stand here is an interesting one. It means to be firm. It means to be planted. And so what the text is suggesting is, The longer you go on receiving counsel from the ungodly, the more and more influenced you become by them. And so walking denotes one's conduct, but standing denotes your character. 
It lets us know where you really are. And standing with sinners is normally where sinful habits start to form. You say, man, I would never do that. Why? Because you're listening so much, but I would never do that. That person is telling me to do this. I would never go that far. But when you get to the point where you are standing with sinners, you start to get to a point where all of those things you said you wouldn't do, you would. Anybody ever been there? You were like, I never would do that. And then turn around and you do the exact same thing that you said you would never do. What the text is saying is you're now at the place where you stopped receiving the counsel, started walking in it. Text keeps going though. It says, nor do we sit in the seat of scoffers. Here's, here's what's interesting. The first part of that talked about wicked, don't, uh, don't, don't receive counsel from the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners. And I get wicked and sinners. Those are synonymous. But then the text presents us to a new term, scoffers. Scoffers is different than uh, a wicked or a evil person or a sinful person. A scoffer is actually much worse. Because a scoffer is someone who jeers or mocks at the things of God. And so it's one thing to disobey God's way, and it's a whole nother thing to mock it as even unworthy of your obedience. Text says, do not sit with this in the seat of scoffers. Here's what the Bible says about, Proverbs 20, uh, about scoffers, Proverbs 21, 24. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant and haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. The Bible says, don't sit with them. Here's what you need to pick up. Note the progression in the text in verse number one. It went from walking to standing to sitting. It shows how comfortable we can get in sin. And this normally is consistent with the behavior of those that are on the wrong path. Those that are on the wrong path, sin never happens instantaneously. Sin always happens in a progressive manner. So it starts out with a text. I'm just going to text him. That's all I'm going to do. Next thing you know, you're sending him kissy faces. And the next thing you know, you're sending him eggplant emojis. If you don't know what an eggplant emoji is, God bless you. You are a very, very spiritual person. No walking. Pastor Larry's still trying to figure out what an eggplant emoji is. So spiritual. Walking. Standing. Sitting. And some of you in this room, yes, you might be at the point where you were just walking in the council, but I promise you, you're going to move on to the next phase. And after that, you're going to move on to the last phase where you're just comfortable in the sin. Bible says here in verse number one, listen, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers. Look at verse two. I love this. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. I was baffled when I got to verse two. I was confused when I got to verse two. In fact, I was on a flight heading to Chicago, about a two-hour flight, and I was reading Psalm chapter one, and I got to verse two, and I literally got stuck there for the whole flight. And the reason I got stuck there is because I thought that the psalmist would have countered the list of negatives in verse 1 with the list of positives in verse 2. Surely I thought that verse 2 was going to read something like this. Blessed is the man who does walk in the counsel of the righteous. And blessed is the man who does stand in the way of the godly. And blessed is the man who does sit in the seat of the reverend. But notice verse 2 does not counter the list of negatives with a whole other list of positives. What verse, do, what verse 2 does is it categorizes the right path by your relationship to the Word of God. 
I love this because what this is saying is you know that you're on the right path when you start to embrace the way of Scripture. I don't, I don't know about you. Some of you I, I don't know, and so I don't know how your spiritual walk is, but I can tell you for me, if I start skipping days of devotion, I'm, I, that's a trigger for me that I'm going down the wrong path. Don't know real Christian that loves Jesus, submits to God's rule and reign, skip days in devotion. You know that feeling you get when you leave out of the house and you leave your cell phone home? You feel like the world is going to crash down? Why do we feel like that about our cell phones, but don't feel like that when we don't get in the Word of God? Here's what the text says. The text says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his word, he meditates day and night. The psalmist here is trying to get us to develop an appetite for the word of God. That's why he uses words like delight. In fact, Psalm 119 verse 103 says, how sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Develop an appetite. What the text is telling us, when it says have delight, Notice this goes further than just, he did not say read the word. He didn't even say quote it. He didn't say memorize the Greek. He didn't say memorize the Hebrew. He goes to something deeper. He says, do you have affections for the word of God? Do you love the word of God? The ones on the wrong path are receiving counsel from the, from the ungodly, but the ones on the right path are receiving counsel from the word of God. The Bible says his delight is in the word of God. And, and, and normally when it comes to delight and developing an appetite for the word of God, many of you in this room cannot develop an appetite for the word because you're too busy eating everything else. My mama used to say it this way. She'd say, never go to the store hungry because you walk out and get a whole bunch of stuff that you don't need. And the problem with us is we have hungry and thirsty people that cannot develop an appetite for the word because we're eating junk. When I was living here in Philadelphia, I, I was spending some time through discipleship at uh, Dr. Mason's house, and we were in the backyard. We were sitting around the fire pit. It had to be about 1, 1.30 in the morning, and uh, out of nowhere, we both were like, man, we didn't eat anything. Let's grab something to eat. I don't know what we were doing. We thought we was young. It's 1, 1.30. We should be asleep, but we was like, let's get something to eat, and so we were like, man, the only thing close enough to us is, is uh, uh, um, uh, what, what's the City View? It's City View and Wendy's on Broad Street. Now, I don't eat so, I mean, I don't eat uh, uh, fast food with the exception of Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is glorified fast food. <laughs> Somebody should feel the, the Lord right there. You know, in New York, we got two Chick-fil-A's. Nine million people trying to get to two Chick-fil-A's. And so I don't eat fast food, but this night I said, you know what, I'm gonna go and I'm just gonna get nuggets. That's all I'm gonna get. So we get there, I end up walking out with a triple stack burger, large fries, and I did get the nuggets as well. Amen. But, you know, I, I, I ate that food, which I normally don't eat. And by the time I got home, I got home about 2, 2.30. By the time I got home after eating that meal, I, I don't know how to explain this besides saying, and I don't want to be nasty, I felt something bubbling in my spirit. <laughs> it almost felt like I swallowed a knife. Here's what happened. I became sick because I ate fast food, which I never eat. And some of you, you know, you're spiritually malnutrition because you're trying to build your spiritual life off a of value meal. You're trying to build your spiritual walk off of eating junk food. But the text tells us today, no, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, in his word, he meditates day and night. The word of God, the, the text tells us that devotion to the word of God is twofold. It's delight 
and it's meditation. We talked about delight, but let's talk about meditation. Meditation is a little bit more practical. Meditation means that you get stuck on a verse and you can't get past it because you are just processing that verse. Anybody ever been there? You, you set out to read the whole chapter, but you got stuck at verse 1. That's what you call meditation. That's why I love your life groups here. I heard Pastor Larry up here trying to push life groups here. You know, one of the things I love about the way Epiphany does life groups is it's not many Bible studies. Like no one's opening up a, a new passage. You are processing the word from Sunday. Why? Meditating on the word of God. We can't get past meditation. Meditation is really a cow chewing on the cud. That's what meditation is. And I don't know if you know what a cow's cud it is, but a, a cow typically has multiple stomachs. And so he'll chew a little bit of food and he'll swallow. And some of that food will go to one of the stomachs that he'll digest. The other food will go to a different stomach, which he'll regurgitate later and chew on it some more. What the cow is doing is getting maximum nutrients from what he's eating. That is what it's like when we meditate on the word of God. There should be times where you read the word and later on you regurgitate it and chew on it some more. Text says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Our church in New York is going through uh, a series on the book of 1 Peter. And, and Peter is a sufficient example for us this morning of someone who lived his life by the word of God. The reason is, I mean, there's five chapters in 1 Peter. We are in chapter 3, and so far, Peter has already quoted the Old Testament six times. If you look in Acts chapter 2, when, when uh, the, the disciples were in the upper room, the Holy Spirit fell, they started speaking in tongues, and everybody outside said, man, these men are drunk. What does Peter say? He says, man, these men, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. These men aren't drunk as you suppose. Then he rolls into a sermon, and in his sermon, he quotes Joel 2, Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. Here's what happened. 3,000 souls got added to the, to the church. Why? Because Peter's delight was in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Let's keep going. Look at the security in the text in verse number three. Verse number three shows us a lot of security and stability. It says this. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And his leaf does not wither. I love this. In all he does, he prospers. The text says in verse number three that those that are on the right path are secure and stable like a tree that's planted by the streams of water. This tree in this text is only healthy and strong because of its location. It is planted by the streams of water. In other words, its root system is receiving a consistent supply of water. The consistent supply of water that you and I need is the word of God. That's why verse 2 said to get into the word. Verse 3 says, and those that are in the word are like trees planted by the streams of water. We used to own a house, my wife and I, we used to own a house in the outskirts of Philadelphia here. And there was this huge tree in our front yard. It was actually bumping up right next to the house. And the tree had a lean on it. And I was worried that one day a severe storm was going to hit or some wind was going to hit and knock the tree down and literally rip a piece of the house out. And so I, I called the landscaper to come check the tree out, give me a quote and tell me how much it would cost to cut it down and haul it off. And, and so this landscaper comes and he looks at the tree and he says, give me a minute. 
He goes to his truck and he grabs a shovel. He then walks around to the back of the house and starts to dig. And about 15, 20 minutes later, he calls me over and says, I want you to look into that hole and tell me what you see. And to my surprise, the roots from the tree that was in the front of the house were in the back of the house. To make things even crazier, the roots got so deep into the ground that they started to wrap around a water pipe that was underground. Here's what he said to me at the end of that conversation. He said, you know what? If a Category 5 hurricane hits today, this tree isn't falling. He said, your house will fall before this tree falls. Here's what the text is saying to us this morning, that those that are on the right path can endure any storm that life may throw. And it does not depend on how strong the winds are. You can endure. Here's what the text says. You're secure. You are strong. You are stable. But note the contrast here. Hold on. Before I go to the contrast, I love this, this, this part, uh, uh, the B part of verse number three that says, and all he does, he prospers. You know, one of the things that, that, that we do as, as uh, believers is we push hard against the prosperity theology, and for good reason. But sometimes we can swing the pendulum so far to the other side that we ignore the promises of God. Of course, there are those that take the promises of God out of context. But there are also those that look at the promises of God and for fear of taking out of context, ignore it. Here's what the text is saying. When you are delighting in the word of God, you are meditating on the word of God, you are like a tree. Then it goes on to say, everything he does, he prospers. Now note the contrast here. Verse 3 talked about being on the right path. Verse 4 is an abrupt contrast to those who are on the wrong path. Look at verse number 4. Verse 4 says, The wicked are not so, but are like chaffed that the wind drives away. The primary emphasis here on verse number four is on the unbeliever, the one that is on the wrong path. The psalmist doesn't give us a detailed description of the sin that this person is in. It doesn't let us in on what he's doing wrong. It just simply shows us that those that are in verse four are in contrast to those that are in verse three. The, the best way I can, I can try to illustrate this, when the text talks about we are like chaffed that the wind drives away. Unless you're a farmer here and you've been to a threshing floor and you've sifted wheat, we don't have a good understanding of what chaffed is. Here's what chaffed is. Chaffed is the outer shell of the kernel. So a farmer would go to the threshing floor, he would cut the wheat and he, he would then try to sift the wheat and the heavy part, the grain would fall to the ground. But the slightest wind would drive the chaff away. The best way to illustrate this is I have a peanut here. The best way to illustrate this is, you know that shell that's, that's on the outer part of the peanut, that little, you know, it's like a brownish shell, this little piece right here. Here's what the text is saying. The text is showing us in verse number three that those who are delighting in the word of God and are on the right path are secure. You are stable. Your roots run deep. But in contrast, those that are on the wrong path, remember the guy said a category five hurricane could hit and that tree's not going to fall? You don't even need a Category 5 storm to hit for the chaff to blow. You just need the slightest wind. And it blows those that are on. So what happens is when we're on the wrong path, Pastor Larry, I'm going to clean that up, I promise. When we're on the wrong path, here's what happens. We normally say, I know I'm on the wrong path, but I'll get on the right path later. The problem is you're chaffed. You're, like the, you're blowing with the wind. And so what that is showing is, destruction. 
Did like this. being on the wrong path, I'm going to save you from saying it's not that bad. The Bible just says you are chaff. And to think that, it, that it, this isn't a bad thing, watch how worse it gets. Look back in verse number five here. Let me read four into five. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Verse five, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. It's interesting because verse number one started out by telling us to temporarily separate ourselves from those on the wrong path. Then verse number five will say that one day God will eternally separate those from the right path and the wrong path. Here's what I'm trying to say. Those on the wrong path, it does not end well. Verse five says that you will not stand before God. And it's been my experience that most people don't live their life in a way that we think that we're going to stand before God. Here's the reality. Everybody in this room, whether you've put your kids in childcare upstairs, all of us will stand before God one day. Even if you're right, you'll stand before God. Here's the confidence I have, though. Here's the confidence, and I don't mean this to come across in a, as an arrogant statement, but I will not stand as a believer in Jesus Christ. I will not stand before God shaking in my boots. You know why? Because I can point to Jesus and say, he's my righteousness. He's the way I get him. But here's what the text is saying, verse number five. The wicked can't do that. Those that are on the wrong path, Jesus pays for my sin. Verse five says, that you pay for your own if you're on the wrong path. And so the same bloody cross that we saw, they wrapped the cloth around Jesus' face, struck him in the face and said, prophesy to us which one of us punched you, pulled out the beard of his face, drove nails into his hand. That bloody Jesus, that bloody wrath that we saw that was poured out on Jesus, the Bible will say the wrath remains for you that are on the wrong path. I'm not trying to use scare tactics. We just sang a song about you are holy. And yes, he is holy, but his holiness is so holy that it leads him to punish sin. Yes, holiness is an attribute of God, but the wrath of God is a real thing. But here's what I love. Those that have trusted in Jesus will not stand before the Lord, before God the Father, and be worried about, we will not pull out a list of good deeds. We'll trust in Jesus. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So each one may receive what is due, what he has done in the body. Here's what the text says, whether good or evil. So we'll all stand before the Lord. But the Bible says, not so for the wicked. The ones on the wrong path, verse 5, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation. Verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Notice the two bookend statements of Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1 began by saying blessed, or your, your translation may say happy, but it ends in verse number 6 with the word perish. Again, once again, affirming that there are only two paths. This word perish here is an interesting one. It, it does not mean annihilation. The Bible doesn't teach annihilation. In other words, the Bible doesn't say that those that are on the wrong path will cease to exist. No, you'll exist, but this word perish means you'll exist under the thumb of the wrath of God. Remember when I said it does not end well. Listen, if you're a non-believer, you're on the wrong path, like, and maybe you're in here and you, you, know, you, you come every week and you have fooled everybody else that you're on the right path, but secretly you're on the wrong path. Or maybe you're in here and you're explicit, like, man, I know I'm on the wrong path. 
here's what you need to pick up. That verse number six says that you will perish. And we love you enough. Thank you for coming if you haven't trusted Jesus. Thank you for being here. But we love you enough to plead with you to trust Jesus today. The reason you can do that is because it will put you on the right path. I wish I had something deeper than this. You know, it behooves us to talk about how we get off the wrong path. We talked a lot about the two paths before us, but we have not talked about how do I get off that wrong path to get on the right one. Wish I had something deeper than this. I came all the way from Brooklyn, New York to simply say, Jesus is how. Like he just is. Like your mama cannot wish you to be on the right path. You cannot get voted on the right path. And worse, you can't earn your way on the right path. You simply trust in the work of Jesus Christ. A few years ago, I went to a conference on preaching, and, and there was a, a class that I took called the melodic line. The melodic line, it, it's, a, it's actually a music term. It, it, it talks about, a melodic line shows a, the succession of notes that form a rhythm. So the chord that's used the most will form the rhythm. And uh, this preaching class that I took on a melodic line really showed us that every chapter and, and definitely every book has a melodic line. So a melodic line is, what word or phrase appears the most in the chapter? If you look at chapter one, what appears the most is the wicked. In other words, Psalm 1 is a stark warning against those that are on the wrong path. The wicked appears in verse one, it appears in verse four, it appears in verse five, and it appears in verse number six. In other words, those that are on the wrong path, this text is pleading with us. Like the rest of the Psalms, you know, you just want to rush over to the Psalms 100s because you know 100s, you know, you can get into worship there. But we shouldn't run past chapter one. Amen. Chapter one is saying that those that are on the wrong path, again, it does not end well. Here's what I know. Jesus will secure you off of the wrong path to the right one. How did he do that? By his cross. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus came down. First of all, he was sitting in heaven being worshipped and decided to humble, humbly step off of his throne to come down to, to dwell amongst sinful and wicked people. And for the first time, he decided to breathe air that he created. For the first time, he decided to submit himself to be slapped by a hand that he formed. He decided to be nailed to a cross of wood that Colossians 1 will say he created. And he did it for two reasons. Number one, to take on your sin. So every sin that you've committed, think of the, the worst sin that you've committed. Jesus has took it on on the cross. And then he does something amazing. He then takes your sin and gives you his righteousness. Like the Bible says that not even deceit was found in Jesus' mouth. 33 years of perfection have been accredited to you. And we get to stand before the Lord and hear crazy words like holy and blameless and just. Like, think of you and think of holy. Think of you and think of blameless. We can be blamed for stuff we did this morning. But yet, we get off the wrong path by believing in the cross of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, this morning, I am not naive to think that everybody came in here on the right path. I'm not even naive to the ones that lifted their hand and are going through the rhythms of religiosity. But this morning, I pray that you would get into the deep, nitty-gritty of our heart. Those that are on the wrong path, would you expose to them that they're on the wrong path? Would you, would you show them in your grace and in your kindness and in your mercy? Show them that you love them. You love them enough that you'll take them off the wrong path and put them on the right one. 
Ephesians chapter 2 says, with the great love in which he loved us. Like you didn't just love us, you loved us with great love. And the beauty in which you loved us is you didn't wait for us to get it together. You didn't wait for us to kind of lean towards the right path. You swooped us up when we were dead wrong. You swooped us up when we were trifling, when we were doing wrong, and we're not thinking about you. You decided to save us. So, Father, I pray for every single man, every single woman under the sound of my voice that's on the wrong path. But I also pray for those that are on the right path. There are some that are on the right path, but verse 2 hasn't really hit them. They haven't developed an appetite for the word of God. Convict us this morning to get into your word and love our Bibles. It is in Christ's name and Christ's name alone we pray. Amen.